I'm here at the By Four Face Elevated CO2 Experiment at Norbury in Staffordshire, here in Mature Oak Woodlands, with Chris Hart, the operations manager here. Good morning to you, Chris. Good morning, Ben. Chris, can you tell us a bit more about the By Four Face Experiment and its planned lifespan? Okay, so um, the By Four Face Experiment is a minimum 10-year running mature temperate woodland ecological experiment. It's a lot of words to describe basically a forest face level experiment where we're going to elevate the levels of carbon dioxide in the, in the local atmosphere within conserved patches of this woodland to what it is predicted to be in about 30 years from today. So currently we have an atmospheric composition that averages at about 413 parts per million. In this part of Staffordshire it's around 400 and we increase the level to 550 approximately on a daily basis when it's leaf on to leaf off. So unfortunately today it's January so there are no leaves on the trees and the facilities are running but normally you'd hear a lot of activity around us as we're pumping CO2 into the atmosphere. And this is quite an awe-inspiring experiment logistically when, when you think about the initial installation of the arrays and the daily deliveries of liquid CO2. It's um, a logistical nightmare. <laughs> so the problem with doing this in a mature woodland is everything is big, everything's in your way, it, it's either too dry or it's too wet, etc, etc. So we've had to do some modifications to the um, what we call the public face of our facility where we upgraded the, the initial entranceway in order to allow very large HGV vehicles to bring in 20 tonne deliveries of CO2 a day. And that's an important point to make is that we consume on average around 20 tonnes of carbon dioxide by pumping that into the forest and distributing it into these patches. So that's on average we can max at 60 tonnes per day and sometimes we'll only use 8 tonnes in a day but there's a lot of gas that we need to send in a controlled format into the forest and then to deliver that we need to install a lot of infrastructure, basically towers that control pipes that can hang down and introduce this CO2 enriched air in a lateral format. So it's going from ground level to above the trees. By introducing it in lines in a circular fashion, so we have a patch, we have a, what we call a ring that surrounds this patch of forest. We blow this CO2 enriched air. We use the towers to send it from ground level to above the trees. It's getting a bit messy now. In order to create a bubble inside the forest. Now the wind is our enemy and our friend because we use the wind to push the CO2 and to distribute it evenly in three-dimensional space but it also blows the CO2 away because this is a free air carbon enrichment experiment. It's not a glass house. So this ring of towers still allow the air to blow in and out, the birds to fly in and out and the squirrels, everything to come and go including things like pest and disease and pollution as would be in a normal undermanaged forest like the one we're in now but we create this bubble of the future and then we try to measure as much as we can from a scientific perspective and you and i are standing right here by one of the six ring arrays um, presumably these were installed by helicopter or or crane well, it's in, well presumably by helicopter but that's not a normal practice of installing towers unless you're on top of a mountain so you're correct we did use um, a helicopter to install these towers it's a really good question because it was very important for us to measure a forest in its standing condition because it's no good we come in with a huge construction crew 
cut half the trees down so we can get access to the trees, cranes, tankers, you know, tractors, etc. So we needed as light a touch as possible. So what we've done, we've spent a lot of time measuring this forest at rest, what we call background measurements, making sure that where we put this infrastructure is in the right place first time. Sounds obvious, but it's very important because we can't start all over again if it was wrong. So a lot of ground truthing took place and then we prefabricated a lot of these 25 meter towers horizontally in a field about two miles away. And then once the, all the ground truthing was, was prepared and signed off, these towers were picked up by a specialist helicopter. I won't go into the nerdy details of the type of helicopter, but the crucial bit to know is that the classic helicopter that has a downdraft that makes people you know, be blown over backwards and the, the whole tumbleweed aspect, this particular helicopter had a side draft, so it pushed the, the air to the sides so that when these towers were dropped in through the canopy, we were not blowing away the leaf litter, knocking branches off trees and so on. So we were able to install 96 towers in four days across a 20 hectare woodland with absolute minimal disruption. We cut down no dominant trees in order to facilitate the install. We cut down no subdominant trees and we did a small amount of coppice work on some of the existing hazel stems which are already regrowing. Crucially, no cranes were brought onto the site, no tractors, etc, etc. And that was all, the whole ethos wasn't just around branches and trees, it was around ground compaction. The last thing we wanted to do was to basically create a, a compacted zone where we wanted to measure. So light touch was the key. And for anyone who hasn't been here, these, these towers and arrays are quite something to behold by us here. Uh, so what do you hope are going to be the long-term impacts for science and society of, of the Bifor Face experiment? The, the main aim, we, we talk about small and big gains, so there is, there is a, there's almost an unlimited and untapped resource at our disposal here to measure everything from ladybirds to carbon cycling. Our main aim is the carbon, hydrogen and nitrogen cycles in order to try and lock up information for global ecosystem models so that we can take an account for what the contribution temperate forests are making as opposed to just there's also tropical forests and arboreal forests and Mediterranean sclerophyll tile forests and so on and so on basically land use we want to plug in the gap for temperate forests using a facility like Bifor Face and then we can ultimately influence policy and this is not just local land management policy this is government policy charitable policy big business we want to be able to provide real in-situ data to ground truth, <laughs> I use that term ground truthing, uh, models that are we're going to use to predict the future essentially and what the future impact of anthropogenic climate change will be. And, and speaking of ladybirds and, and carbon cycling, the BIFOR team is very keen to have this experiment used as a platform by the wider ecological community for all sorts of research. How, how do they go about doing that? So. The very first thing anyone should really do is check our website. So it's on the University of Birmingham's webpage. Just look up by four and we'll pop up. So that would give you an initial contact, either through the, the administrator or myself or the director. And the director's Professor Rob McKenzie, who's very well publicised. And from that process, you begin to fill out a project form. And the project form would be assessed by an access committee. And this all may sound very bureaucratic, but this is to ensure don't accept any spurious science. Doesn't mean that 
something can't be unique and even weird because that's what base research is all about but what we're not trying to do is just let anybody come to this site and do whatever they want it's all got to fall under the management so that it's controllable doesn't damage other experiments or interfere with what's already taking place here but so that we can get as wide a possible access to every science genre there is everything from artists in residence that we have on this site and, and I could name a lot to the point where we've even had people wanting to do um, interpretive dance in a facility which sounds crazy but it's still to be encouraged because that bringing our research to the public and science communication is key right down to the very basic of taking soil samples you know deep soil samples to figure out what's going on in the much lower horizons underneath these trees top to bottom and finally, your colleague Giulio Curioni will be giving the talk at ECT's next webinar on the 26th of March about data curation and sample archiving. Yes. Can you give us a foretaste of your broad activities in that area ahead of our webinar? I'll desperately try and give you a foretaste because I'm not a, not a particularly a data scientist. So Dr Curioni is um, the research manager for the Birmingham Institute of Forest Research and he's dedicated to that role. So we're very, very lucky and fortunate. The College of Life and Environmental Sciences has committed significant funds to support that post, which I think is very important to point out because funding people is, is very, very difficult in research organisations. People like to fund bricks and mortar, they can, they can point out, but getting people employed is very hard. So they have supported his appointment and his job is to process all, and I emphasise all of the data, coming out of this facility and its manipulation thereafter so that he's involved in every single project and that is from the physical samples people taking leaves and we can track not only who's taking but how much they're taking why they're taking and what the future um, result of those physical samples will be and then the flow of data and we produce around 200 gigabytes of data a week are coming out of this facility and it's all piped directly back to the university and Julio's job is to manage those databases not database databases and original vision would be to have a single database that any user could come to us whether you're interested in ladybirds or interpretive dance and say can I get your wind data for this month or etc ecological data but because this site is so vast and mature forests are so complex we cannot put it all in one store we so we need one person to control and understand and, and interpret this data as well so not only is he storing the data for us properly, making it accessible to the public, he's also demonstrating this data to prove A, the facility is working to its design parameters, but also assisting us in things like leaf area index analysis. So that, and this is a key point actually, and Julio's role is so fundamentally important because from a long-term ecological experiment point of view, the very basic measurements are the things that are allegedly easy to do but hard to maintain you cannot go to a research council and say i want to do a five-year study on leaf litter and i'm going to come in once a month collect some leaves and measure them and that's my project they will not support that it's not innovative i say they won't my experience as a scientist suggests they won't so what we have now is a permanent set of staff who are technical staff and a senior sub-academic research staff like Julio in order to maintain the collection and the analysis of this data set and these are the key things we need to have a long-term data set that will 
continue way past the lifespan of this particular experiment to make sure we're measuring these basic processes that go on in the forest so we can monitor change over the long term. Thanks very much, Chris. That's great. And, and as you said, listeners can obtain more information either directly from your BY4 website or also from the dedicated page on ECT's website. That's correct.